His Holiness, Hazret Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has traveled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe, from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world. He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security. Selections from the writings of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the Holy Prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, he endures such hardship and suffering as increased from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and impostor to suffer through. Selection. Writings of the Promised Messiah, salam. In order to establish the oneness of God, it is of utmost importance that one should love God to one's full capacity. And this love cannot be verified unless it reaches its perfection in a practical form. It cannot be proved with lip profession. You know, if somebody just talks of sugar, he cannot find the taste of sweetness in his mouth. Or, if somebody expresses the feeling of friendship, but does not help his friend in times of need, he cannot be called a true friend. Likewise, if somebody just talks of the oneness of God, but does not love him as he should, it cannot be of any avail. What I really mean is that practice is very important along with the precept. That is why it is necessary that 
you should dedicate your lives in the way of God. And this is the real Islam for which I have been sent to the world. Thus, he who does not come near this fountain that God has made to flow is very unfortunate. The Conditions of Initiation, Bed, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. The initiate shall solemnly promise, one, that he or she shall abstain from shirk, association of any partner with God, right up to the day of his or her death. Two, that he or she shall keep away from falsehood, fornication, adultery, trespasses of the eye, debauchery, dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief and rebellion and will not permit himself or herself to be carried away by passions, however strong they might be. 3. That he or she shall regularly offer the five daily prayers in accordance with the commandments of God and the Holy Prophet and shall try his or her best to be regular in offering the tahajjud and invoking the rood on the Holy Prophet that he or she shall make it his or her daily routine to ask forgiveness for their sins, to remember the bounties of God and to praise and glorify Him. 4. That under the impulse of any passions, he or she shall cause no harm whatsoever to the creatures of Allah in general and Muslims in particular, neither by his or her tongue, nor by his or her hands, nor by any other means. 5. That he or she shall remain faithful to God in all circumstances of life, in sorrow and happiness, adversity and prosperity, in felicity and trial, and shall in all conditions remain resigned to the decree of Allah and keep himself or herself ready to face all kinds of indignities and sufferings in his way and shall never turn away from it at the onslaught of any misfortune. On the contrary, he or she shall march forward. 6. That he or she shall refrain from following un-Islamic customs and lustful inclinations and shall completely submit himself or herself to the authority of the Holy Quran and shall make the word of God and the sayings of the Holy Prophet the guiding principle in every walk of his or her life. 7. That he or she shall entirely give up pride and vanity and shall pass all his or her life in humbleness, cheerfulness, forbearance and meekness. 8. That he or she shall hold faith, the honour of faith and the cause of Islam dearer to him or her than his or her life, wealth, honour, children and all other dear ones. 9. That he or she shall keep himself or herself occupied in the service of God's creatures for his sake only and shall endeavour to benefit mankind to the best of his or her God-given abilities and powers. 10. That he or she shall enter into a bond of brotherhood with this humble servant of God, pledging obedience to me in everything good, 
for the sake of Allah and remain faithful to it till the day of his or her death that he or she shall exert such a high devotion in the observance of this bond as is not to be found in any other worldly relationship and connections demanding devoted dutifulness. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbours. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbours with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasised consideration towards one neighbours so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbour would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it so that your neighbour might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbour should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people and their favourite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbour. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbour is not secure against injury and ill-treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbour. He asked people not to object to their neighbours driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbour. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 23rd of January 2023. You're listening to Daniel Zia and uh, Imam Usman Manan live from the uh, South London studios of Voice of Islam. We're here today with another live show and two. Um, uh, two uh, topics that we shall be uh, discussing today. The first one is how Muslims supported the lonely period, uh, uh, the lonely or the festive period, rather. So, how Muslims supported the lonely or the festive period, and the second topic, which uh, so the first topic will start around seven thirty, and the se- second topic we will start around eight fifteen a.m. is about the discovery of cellular glue in regenerative medicine. So that's some. Um, um, uh, some really um, advanced medicine that we shall be talking about there. And we have experts lined up for both uh, the topics. So please do join us uh, for those uh, discussions. Um, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. My peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, uh, Imam Usman. Alaikum salam. How are you? Dan Very good. Uh, how was your week? Uh, it was uh, all right. It's much better than this morning. It's very cold. Oh, yeah. This, I did this. not want to get up today. <laughs> yeah, get, get up or get out today, actually. Yes, it was uh, It was quite cold. Uh, it is quite cold, I should say. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So, um, as is the norm, we start the show with um, uh, the headlines bearing in the newspapers this morning. So, um, photograph of um, Boris Johnson on a visit to Ukraine features across several of the front pages this morning, but there's also a focus on the claims the chairman of the BBC, Richard Sharp, helped the former prime minister secure a loan guarantee weeks before Mr. Johnson recommended him for the role. Both men deny any wrongdoing. Metro says Boris Johnson popped up in a war-torn Ukraine as yet another sleaze row erupts. The Daily Express uh, says Mr. Johnson is back on the front line despite no longer being Prime Minister. The story goes on to report his pledge that Britain's backing for Ukraine would last as long as it takes to defeat Russian President Vladimir Putin. Mr. Johnson said it was a privilege to show solidarity with a war-torn war-torn nation as he shrugged off questions over his finances in Kiev, says the paper. The Daily, Mirror carries, uh, the Daily Mirror carries the headline, They Still Don't Get It, as it dedicates its front page to the weekend's top political stories about the Tories. It mentions Boris Johnson's loan story, as well as former Chancellor Nadeem Zahavi reportedly having to settle a $4.8 million, million pound tax bill. It also reminds its readers that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak was last week given a fixed penalty notice for not wearing a seatbelt. The Guardian reports that Boris Johnson and Nadeem Zahavi story on its front page, but its lead story says ministers are being accused of leaving a record of failure and broken promises as internal forecasts show the UK will be 15 years late in achieving its £1 trillion annual export target after being hit by the Brexit. The Daily Telegraph says households will be paid to reduce their electricity use for the first time on Monday under plans being drawn up by the national grid. It comes as temperatures are expected expected to drop to minus 2 degrees centigrade, which could ramp up pressure on Britain's power network. The ISA's energy firms are hitting back at plans for them uh, to forcibly, uh, for, uh, for them, uh, 
to stop them forcibly installing prepayment meters if, pe- if people cannot afford to pay their bills. The paper says that the government's biggest gas and electricity suppliers claim that without the meters, unpaid debts will built up and that will have to be recouped from customers' bill through higher charges. The Times leads on an investigation from the paper which claims that more than 40 British universities have collaborated with institutions linked to malign activities in China. It says they have partnered with bodies connected to the Uyghur genocide, nuclear weapons development, espionage, defence researching or hacking. The Daily Mail says people in the UK are more dependent on the state than ever before. Some 36 million people are getting more from the government than they pay in tax, according to the study uh, by think tank Civitas. The Mail says this is up from 24 million or two-thirds of households when Tony Blair was Prime Minister from 1997 to 2007. And finally, the Financial Times says the Eurozone is forecast to defy expectations and avoid a recession this year. A widely watched survey of economists now predict the bloc will see growth of 0.1% over the year 2023 because of lower energy prices and the reopening of China's economy. So those were the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. Uh, Imam uh, Manant, anything that caught your eye this morning? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, a lot of our listeners are also f- from Pakistan. So in Pakistan, uh, uh, they suffered a huge power cut early on Monday. So just this morning, uh, following a breakdown in its national electricity grid, uh, the power was out in all the country's major cities, including the bigger city, Karachi. Uh, the capital Islamabad, as well as Lahore and Peshawar. Uh, the power minister, Horam Dastagir, said that uh, the grid failure followed a frequency variation in uh, southern Pakistan. Uh, and he insisted that this is not a major crisis and the power will be back on soon. Um, and uh, some grids in the country had already been restored and powered, uh, and power would be fully restored in 12 hours, according to uh, Mr. Dastagir. In winter, the demand for electricity reduces nationwide. Hence, as an eco-economic measure, we temporarily close down our power generation systems at night. That's what he said. Uh, and also the fuel crisis, you know, forcing uh, a lot of um, malls and a lot of um, shopping centers and essential shops to close down early. Um, because uh, they do use uh, generators a lot in uh, Pakistan. If the power goes down, they use generators to uh, fuel the electricity. But uh, that requires a lot of um, um, a lot of uh, uh, what do you call it petrol. So it runs on petrol. So obviously the petrol prices are uh, skyrocketing. So everyone is struggling in that sense as well. And uh, earlier this month, the government ordered shopping centers and markets to close early every day to save money on power. Um, And global energy prices jumped last year, uh, as well as uh, in Pakistan, as well as around the world, putting further pressure on the country's already dwindling finances. Right. Thank you very much uh, for that, uh, Imam Manan. Let's take a quick break, uh, and when we come back, let's continue with uh, the headlines or the stories appearing in the newspapers this morning.
أشهد أن لا أشهد أن محمدا You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. The Holy Quran states Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. An-Nur is that being through whose light a physically blind person sees and a person who has gone astray finds guidance. It is that being who is apparent and through whom all things are manifested. His being is apparent in himself and makes things evident for others as well. The true light is God, which can be perceived in everything by those with insight. However, one who is devoid of spiritual sight cannot see it. A believer is firm on the belief that the universe that can be observed as well as the universe that cannot be observed is created by God in order to give an understanding of this light. God sends His chosen people who spread the nur, which comes down from the heavens throughout the world. The Promised Messiah on whom be peace, writes, that light of high degree that was bestowed on perfect man was not in angels, was not in the stars, was not in the moon, was not in the sun, was not in the oceans or the rivers, was not in rubies or emeralds, or sapphires or pearls, in short, it was not in any earthly or heavenly object. It was only in perfect man, whose highest and loftiest and most perfect example was our Lord and Master, the chief of the prophets, the chief of all living ones, Muhammad, the chosen one. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, set the most excellent example and the highest standard of nur, which was established as a reflection of the light of God and which will continue till the day of judgment. The nur he received was conveyed to his companions and established excellent morals amongst them, so much so that he likened them to the stars. After the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, 
The reflection of God's light was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. This was due to complete subordination of his master. Not only did God fill the promised Messiah on whom be peace with Nur that was sent down more than 1,400 years ago, he also granted him the station to spread this Nur. The promised Messiah on whom be peace wrote that no one knew him and God compelled him out of his solitude and told him that he would bestow upon him honor and make him renowned all over the world. It is a way of God that when he adorns someone with nur, he manifests it to the world. After all, when the worldly light has a capacity to spread, how can the light of God Stay hidden. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. You are listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Uh, welcome back. We were going through the news this morning, and uh, another interesting news just coming up is that the government is to offer about six hundred million pounds for green steel switch, uh, and it is expected to announce hundreds of millions of pounds to support to help Britain's two biggest steel makers go green. The funding for British Steel and uh, Tata Steel UK is likely to be unveiled by the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt this week. Each is expected to receive around three hundred million pounds of grants to help pay for a switch away from coal-fired blast furnaces and help with energy costs. It would also protect thousands of jobs in Britain's industrial heartlands. But the announcement will be controversial given the tough line the government is taking on pay settlements for public sectors including nurses and ambulance drivers. Central to the offer of support are the company's blast furnaces. These use vast quantities of coking coal, a treated form of coal, to smelt iron from ore breaking rock. As a result, they produce huge amounts of carbon dioxide, which drives global warming. Uh, the, the, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy told the BBC it was working closely with the steel industry to secure what is described as uh, a sustainable and competitive future. And uh, last week, a £300 million funding package was being considered for British Steel. Uh, so this, following, uh, this follows a request by British Steel, which is uh, owned by Chinese company uh, Jingye, for hundreds of millions of pounds of grants to prevent the closure of its blast furnaces at Scunthorpe and Lincolnshire. However, sources uh, close close to Tata Steel and the Indian-owned company, which runs the UK's largest steel plant in Port Talbot in South Wales, say £300 million may not be enough to persuade it to make the vast investment needed. Interna internal company estimates around 
under, uh, understood to put uh, the cost of switching the company's port turboard works to producing emission-free green steel at up to three billion pounds. One industry expert said, an offer to cover 10% of the costs may not be sufficient. A deal needs to come soon, the head of the United uh, Steve Turner has told uh, Business Secretary Cranships. And the steel industry is a whiskier away from collapse, Mr. Turner said in a letter that last week. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, uh, Imam Anan. And that brings us end uh, towards the end of this segment, which was about uh, the news and uh, current affairs um, stories appearing in the newspapers this morning. We shall move directly to the first story that we shall uh, talk about. The first um, topic is about uh, Muslims uh, supporting or how Muslims supported the lonely uh, over the festive period. Um, so it's um, uh, young Ahmadi Muslims spent Christmas Day delivering gift baskets to members of the UK society that were having a tough time during the cost of living crisis. Um, one member of the team mentioned that the aim was to do something positive while many were struggling. The members worked hard to put the request together, purchase the items and wrap the hampers as well as to deliver them personally around the country on Christmas Day. Uh, Ahmadi Muslim Youth Association tried to help people across the across the country by giving them free gift baskets um, uh, to anyone um, and uh, anybody who was having a tough time or who needed uh, support. Um, the Ahmadi Muslim Youth Association leader, Muhammad Akbar, said the initiative was aimed at doing something positive while so many are suffering over Christmas. Uh, Ahmadi Muslim Youth Association, or AMIA, launched the gift basket scheme in partnership with charity Marie Curie, which provides support and care for people with terminal illnesses. Individuals could be nominated for a gift basket by friends, family members, colleagues or neighbours, and more than 400 requests from 40 cities across the UK were actually received. On Christmas Day, the Muslim Youth Association mobilized hundreds of volunteers across 22 regions across the country, traveling thousands of miles to personally hand-deliver the gift baskets. Um, Imam Anand, a, a very, very noble initiative indeed. Yes, definitely. And this uh, this young community, um, the AMIA, Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. Which you are a member of. Uh, yes, technically. <laughs> yes, everyone uh, in the community is, is a member of this. However, um, just hey, anyone in the community below the age of 40 is a member <laughs> of that community. You're looking at somebody right now who is not. <laughs> yes, we have we have this amazing system in, in our yes. community. You know, right. there's uh, kind of sections and auxiliary bodies of, of the youth. Then we have our body, uh, a working association of the elderly. Mm. Uh, you know, just because you're a little bit older doesn't mean you're exempt from like working and uh, uh, participating and contributing to the community Absolutely. but we have this amazing system of uh, you know women have their own uh, uh, associations yes and children you know very young children have their own uh, events and exactly. own so this uh, brings uh, i think a lot of the community together in uh, various right. events we have uh, multiple events for each of these associations from like seven years to 15 we have very young ones 15 to 40 that's the you know the the, the strong age your mm. prime age that's the that's the AMIA, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. Exactly. And even after that, we have the um, the Ansarullah, who are uh, Elders slightly, association, yes. yeah, slightly uh, older. Mm. But uh, even they are doing a lot of work, um, 
you know, even uh, yeah, they probably did this as well. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. They, food they banks, do walks and food banks, and yeah. uh, and whatnot. Absolutely. So yeah, and 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 uh, you're absolutely right. Millions of pounds uh, worth of money is actually donated by, uh, collected and donated by these uh, associations in their various capacities. Um, um, and, and a lot of other good work is also done by them. I know MDM Muslim Youth, MDM Muslims Women's Association, because my wife is a member of that. Um, mm. They have, uh, uh, they are celebrating um, uh, their 100 years uh, since they, they've been established. And they have planted 100,000 trees in the UK. Wow. Uh, just to um, say thanks. Um, uh, so there the are various ways in which the various community members um, uh, and various auxiliary organizations actually contribute towards charity and towards other charitable causes and good causes mm -hmm. uh, within the society. And um, uh, this particular... So uh, do you have uh, any, any personal experience with, um, with volunteering for uh, the Youth Association? Uh, yes, obviously, uh, a, a lot of work. I, I am a life devotee, mm -hmm. voluntarily. Uh, but uh, I remember we used to go for tree planting. Uh, we used to go for, um, so, uh, how do you say it? Like, you know, like cleaning up or vakare yeah. we call it. Yeah. Which is called, we all get together and uh, do work uh, to, to help somewhere, you know, for free. Yeah. Uh, this is, um, especially, we see this in our annual convention in the, uh, um, the Jalsa Salana we yeah, hold massive, yeah. every mm. year, mm. and uh, even His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, uh, may Allah strengthen his hand. The head of the Ahmadiyya community has mentioned so many times that so much money is saved uh, because of um, the youth and uh, because of our community uh, coming uh, to this place, you know, for, for regularly about two three weeks and working for free and helping with a lot of the work. So this, uh, in result, we don't have to hire that many people or companies or labor, and it saves us so much money. And it's it's a very very big event uh, in the. Yeah, UK. it's a huge event, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned it. And and for some of our listeners uh, who may not have heard about this event, you know, this is an annual event, an annual gathering uh, of people. Uh, it was disrupted a little bit because of COVID, uh, but on average, mm -hmm. uh, in normal circumstances, uh, close to about between thirty-five to forty thousand people attend this yeah. event every year. Uh, it's held in a farm in Alton, um, in England, um, in in lovely countryside, and um, as you mentioned, it it's it's a farm actually, uh, which is converted within a period of uh, twenty-eight days in in a mini city. Yeah. which is ready to host uh, about 35,000, uh, close to 40,000 sometimes people. And um, uh, they are, be they are they're fed there, you know, three times uh, or, or many times a day. <laughs> they are looked after. They, you know, all, all possible needs are, are absolutely looked after. And it's, um, it's a spiritual event, which is, which is something which, you know, we all look forward to. And I can... I can hardly wait for the next one, uh, which will be held at the end, of last weekend of July. So mm -hmm. if there's anybody listening who's not a member of the community and would like to attend that event, please do let us know. Uh, it is open to, um, uh, it wasn't open to uh, uh, to uh, elders and, and uh, to guests uh, during COVID, but it, this year it will be open to everybody. 
So if you're interested in, in attending that event, please uh, do get in touch. Uh, you can call us at 020-8687-7878 um, or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK on you, or you can simply write to us uh, uh, Voice of Islam uh, at the Battle for Two um, Mosque um, in South London. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, we're talking about um, helping you know the poor and the elderly here and the lonely people. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, research has linked social isolation and loneliness to higher risks for a variety of physical and mental conditions, which include high blood pressure, uh, heart disease, obesity, a weakened immune system, anxiety, uh, depression, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's disease, and even death. So, uh, it's just, I think all these, um, some many of these people, uh, I think all of these people who who have been uh, given this support, who, haven't, who have been given this time in this, uh, uh, you know, difficult time and also a time of celebration, that they, are, they would definitely be very grateful and it must have helped them a lot uh, in terms of these uh, all these illnesses and mental health problems mm-hmm. nowadays mm-hmm. and people who find themselves unexpectedly alone due to the death of a spouse or partner uh, or separation from friends or family. Um or retirement or loss of mobility and lack of transportation are at particular risk. Um, conversely, people who engage in meaningful, productive activities with others tend to live longer, boost their mood and have a sense of purpose. These activities seem to help maintain their well-being and may improve their cognitive function, studies have shown. Um, so this, this, this is a very important point here, that a loss of purpose you know, this is. Uh, I think this is very, a very tough one. That some people they lead, they feel like they don't have a purpose in life, or they they think they are useful. The uh, I mean, useless. So I think this is all. Uh, like mentioned here, this is definitely linked to, um, you know, a loneliness and uh, not having friends or not uh, somebody not reaching reaching out to you. Uh, and uh, I remember we did a show a few weeks ago. Um, we were speaking particularly about men in that. Uh, in, uh, in this uh, about loneliness and how they are you know they're not used to um, speaking out they're not used to uh, having conversation about their feelings uh, that part of you know the, the of men's life hmm. and even in that uh, we discussed and we spoke to some experts and they said that this uh, we have they started this scheme where they start uh, to go out to other men and ask them about their problems help them hmm. and they said there were so many uh, who came forward and all you need is that you, you need to take the first step. We need yeah. to speak about this in the yeah. society. There's uh, so many issues. Like men, obviously, are they're supposed to be, you know, the tough ones, the strong yeah. ones, which is true. But it doesn't mean you don't have feelings. Mm. You know, you don't have weaknesses. Mm. And uh, again, you you need a purpose in life. Right. And the ultimate purpose is definitely the worship of uh, God Almighty. And with that comes, which is a commandment of God, is the purpose of serving humanity mm. and this work being here done by the AMIA by the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association it's uh, you know it's according to our religion it's it's it's, it's un- and underneath the commandments of God uh, that r- religion doesn't just mean worship and loneliness and uh, isolation there are two parts to religion right? definitely worship, worship of uh, the almighty and uh, helping Hukukula um, and Hukukulibad the rights of uh, humanity yeah so the rights of humanity, they're just as important as the rights you owe to God Almighty uh, because it's his creation 
and uh, imagine yourself you have something or something dear to you let's say you have a child and i uh, take care of your child obviously you will be you know grateful you that will make you happy mm. so uh, as god is all of us are children of god uh, if we take care of the children of god that's what pleases god mm. and uh, this is how we also get nearer to mm. our creator um, what are your thoughts uh, imam anan on um Uh, on the structure of the mosque and and the importance of the mosque as a social center for the elderly and the youth and the children um mm-hmm. who are able to congregate here uh you know five times a day because uh, um you are supposed to come to the mosque to pray um uh, and and uh, the daily prayers are for um, are five times a day mm-hmm. um and and when you come to the mosque you meet people you, you know uh, like you mentioned you can talk about your problems uh, yeah. you can share issues um as well as uh, just mingle and um, and really have a um, have a good time so um what are you what are your thoughts on how Im- what is the importance of mosque not just as a center of prayer but but as a as a as a social center yeah there's there's a few points um firstly uh, i think again uh, a huge misunderstanding uh, not just outside our community and outside islam even within uh, muslims is that they they think mosque is just for prayer mm. mosque is just for praying and you're not supposed to talk in the mosque you're not supposed to like run in the mosque obviously the mosque has some uh, respect uh, which has to be given Etiquette, yes. but <clears throat> for the purpose of bringing people together mm. and uh, you know uh, having discussions or even doing light exercise like arm wrestling or something like this mm. the mosque is a perfect place because that's the whole purpose of the mosque it's not just for worship i mean you can pray anywhere in the in the world mm. the holy prophet peace be upon him said that the whole earth is made a mosque yeah. for me which means that you can pray anywhere you don't need a specific place, place of prayer right. but the mosque uh, serves a purpose in the community because it attracts everyone at one place together at one time and five times a day actually and imagine you have neighbors you know maybe like 10 miles away and you all come to the same mosque multiple times a day like automatically your your bond will get stronger you keep seeing mm-hmm. that person many times mm-hmm. you know one day you won't see him and you will think <laughs> some maybe something something's wrong mm-hmm. you know, so there's also this aspect that if somebody's coming to the re- uh, mosque regular or to a place and you see him every day and one day you don't see him so maybe mm. you think oh, something's wrong mm. so you can go check up on him right okay and and, um, and, and just yeah. to elaborate on on the point that you're making uh, uh, for for our listeners again who are not familiar with uh, this particular mosque complex where we're speaking from so this studios is actually voice of islam studios is located within the mosque so yes there's a there's a radio station hosted within the mosque <laughs> then uh, you know we have a multipurpose hall which um it serves as a sports center which serves as a conference center which serves, which does many other activities functions events and is open to uh, the local area it's not just open to uh, to members of the community or muslims it's open to anybody um within uh, within the local area and then um there's a library within the mosque uh, there's mm-hmm. a gym within the mosque as you said uh, so there's you know lots of activities within the mosque and it is you know this is uh, really the the perfect antidote that you can imagine for loneliness which is uh, the biggest issue um especially for elderly 
in the country, but also mm-hmm. growing, um, uh, growingly uh, for for you know many other people as well, and people of all generations, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Uh, you know this last uh, wave of the, the the freeze which just came a few weeks ago. Mm. So our community uh, also started this little scheme that. Uh, I don't know what they call it, like heating room or uh, warming room? Warm rooms. Warm rooms? Yeah. Yeah, so they invited everyone, yeah. uh, the neighbors, uh, anywhere near the buildings, mm. whether they're part of the community or not, to come and sit in a room together mm. where they have the heating on. Uh, because, uh, first of all, this will save a lot of people uh, a lot of money mm. because if individually they turn on the heating, that will just make everyone, uh, mm. everyone has to pay for the heating separately. But if you come together, you know, after... Uh, in the, in the evening or afternoon and sit together for a few hours and uh, they basically provided this uh, service uh, so that people can come and sit and uh, this will help the people and help uh, the community you know to well, people, widen exactly in, in in many different ways you know it will uh, heating obviously cost of living crisis is expensive uh, plus uh, you know warm food is served uh, mm. in those warm rooms as well yeah. And and uh, by the way, that's still open here um, at uh, at the Battle Fatu Mosque um, here in Morden and many other mosques and centers of the Muslim community. So if you'd like to learn more about that, um, that's a service that um, uh, at Battle Fatu is being run on a on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. if you want to learn more, please do get in touch. Very amazing. Uh, another um, point which uh, I want to mention, we mentioned as a, to speak about mosques as a um, society center mm. is that um, <clears throat> the the second caliph um, uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be pleased to me. He has mentioned uh, in many of his, of his books regarding uh, community and society, and he writes that this this society system and the, the you know the morality and the level of your society it starts from each home. Mm. Says that the it starts from the mother. Because the child is raised by the mother, right. okay. The the initial morals and uh, those good habits they inflicted in the children by the mothers mm. in the beginning, and then the the, the child grows a little older, and uh, then he he spends more time with his father, probably you know going out or yeah. stuff like this. So then the father is responsible for teaching him the good good things and the right habits, uh, and so on. And then he starts going to school, and slowly it builds up. And this when you have good uh, training good moral training at your house what you will do is in return your society will get stronger you you have more brave people you know if you teach your children not to be scared when they get together in a group they everyone knows not to be scared so it's a very strong group you know you see in many like movies or stories you've heard that um of like brave army soldiers who don't fear anything if one of them you know shows fear and weakness that will uh, that will that will start a uh, a effect into the other peoples who will start thinking, or oh, maybe he's right. So you know, building your your children um, strong and making them brave, and this is all part of the um, society. Absolutely, and uh, just to build up on the point uh, about the importance of uh, of mothers in a child's life. Uh, obviously, children are closer closer to their mothers. Than they are uh, to their fathers, um, generally speaking. Um, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, the famous uh, French general, uh, there's a famous quotation from him. He said, Give me mm-hmm. good mothers and I shall give you a great nation. So, um, you know, there you yeah. go. That's very true. <laughs> 
Right. So, um, yeah, so so we're talking about um, uh, loneliness and we're talking about how the Ahmed Muslim community, uh, various organizations are are helping um, uh, the lonely. Uh, what are the... Uh, the the social needs of uh, an elderly elderly person. So, you know, no matter what our age is, we all have social needs. Yep. Feeling connected to other people and to community contributes to the health and well-being of older adults. Volunteering or par- participating in social activities appears to be the key to address the needs for proximity, meaningful relationships, and uh, reciprocity. Um, and and then you know if. We're talking about how we can help elderly people. Well, we can, we can, there are lots of things that we can do. Uh, firstly, you can come to the mosque and, and, and there's plenty of help available here, but um, you can give time to them. You can um, help them do um, um, some chores. You can uh, actually help them with groceries. You can share uh, a meal. Uh, or you can watch out for signs of uh, winter, winter illnesses, as, as you mentioned uh, mm. earlier as well. You know, if you're coming, if you are in regular contact with somebody and you don't see that person on a particular day or a couple of days, you you know there's something not right. Yeah, and older people, they just tend to get more lonely because, you know, they've lived their life. Mm. They, they're not able to do as much and contribute as much to the community. Um, what I, you know, I, I think is a very sad thing I see in these countries that uh, these old people homes mm. and care homes, mm. where people, you know, just this, they just put their parents there mm. and mm. kind of to. That's why I think there's just to get some burden off them because they yeah, they don't want sad. to take it's care of them. Very very sad. Mm. Even I, though they go visit them, maybe, but. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I I, I share uh, that sentiment that yes, uh, you know, there is this argument that they're they they are looked after there. There's professional help there and mm-hmm. uh, and other things. But you know, there's uh, you know there there is no match for what um, a child can mm-hmm. uh, the the help that a child can actually give to their parents. The solace that. A child can give um, to um, their mom or dad, and uh, you know, no matter what the sort of professional help you get in a uh, in a home, it's really not the same thing. It's uh, you know, I, I I can relate to that because I have um, I had an elderly fa- elderly father who passed away a few years ago, and I have an elderly mother now, and uh, you know, I can imagine how devastating it would be if uh, if she were to live alone there. Um, in a in a home, mm. as opposed to you know living uh, with uh, with the grandkids and you know with the family around, and uh, that helps in so many ways. Yeah, I, I went to a care home a few times, not that many times, but uh, you know going there gave me uh, you know the vibes that this is kind of like a prison. So you go there, and the thing is, if they see someone from outside, they are so happy. Yeah, they're they're really happy yeah, to so see visitors. When yeah, you walk in, they yeah. you know they're all sad, just sitting or maybe walking mm-hmm. around. And once they see you, and or you speak to them, you say mm-hmm. anything, say hello or or good morning, how are you? They, they have this instant smile on their face, mm-hmm. and like they haven't like seen anyone in days. Mm-hmm. So even if you like, they might be called care homes, but I think it's only like physical care which is being done. Their mental care is so important. Uh, absolutely, and 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 that sort of mental care can only be provided. I mean, that sort of uh, 
uh, that sort of help only comes with uh, having a family around, being able to see your yeah. your kids and your grandkids, and that that makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. Yeah, because they've they've lived their life, you know, they probably had all the luxuries, or maybe they were unfortunate and didn't have those. But I think at, at that age, you don't worry about, you know, I need nice food, I need nice clothes, I need a nice car. What you need is I need family, I need mm. someone with me, I need someone to spend time with. Mm. It's 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 an important point you bring up about uh, you know all of these things that we accumulate in life and the, we we give importance to you know the car the home uh, mm. the holiday the whatnot uh, so they did um, um, I was reading a research um, uh, that was done on um, uh, on some elderly people some you know seventy year olds and above and they were asked uh, a simple question that what um, was what to their mind at 70 plus hmm. was the biggest achievement um, in life? What was most important for them? Was it the car? Was it the house that they built or other uh, you know, professional uh, accomplishments? Yeah. And they say that um, all of them, uh, 100% of them, replied that the most important achievement or the most important thing that they, um, um, that they can account for is, is really the relationships that they built uh, in their lives. Not the yep. big houses, not the holidays they went to, not the cars, not the phones, uh, not anything of that sort. It was the, it was the relationships uh, uh, that that they built that they re- really considered as a treasure, uh, their the lifetime treasure. Mm. I think there's a reason why like old people are always called wise. and <laughs> mm. I mean, they had all the experiences. Mm. They know that they've been through everything. And at the end, they know what, you know, that that uh, when when you have like gold or something, you have like dust of gold mm. when you go to mines and you filter it so many times. And at the end, you get that, that little piece of gold, you know, yeah. for all the hard work. They know what that gold is. Yeah, That's your relationship, your family, mm. because the rest will just, it will just, you know, filter through. Yeah, but what yeah. will remain exactly. is that, that precious thing at the end. And these are relationships and your family, because... You can't buy family, mm. can you? You can mm. buy probably everything in the world. You can't buy happiness. You, Money can get you happiness, mm. but you can't buy happiness. <laughs> yeah, money can, can give you very temporary happiness. Yeah, it's it's really your relationships which uh, which can give you lasting happiness or something that you will treasure. Right. Um, we are uh, coming up to um, the 8 o'clock news, so we will go on a break now. And when we come back, we will continue this discussion on uh, on the elderly, on um, uh, as well as on the, uh, the the social structure that Islam builds and the infrastructure that uh, that an Islamic society builds. So, a lot more uh, coming up on this topic. Please do stay tuned. Ashhadu an 
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbors. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbors with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasized consideration towards one's neighbors so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbor would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it so that your neighbor might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbor should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people and their favorite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbor. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbor is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbor. He asked people not to object to their neighbors driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbor. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. 
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 23rd of January 2023. The time is 8.03 a.m. And you're listening to Tani Alzia and Imam Usman Manan live from the Southland Studios of Voice of Islam. We are talking about um, the help that uh, various um, organizations um, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community offer to the elderly, to um, uh, to the needy. And um, before we went on to the break, we were talking about the help that, um, or that was offered by the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association to the um, to the elderly during the festive period and the Christmas period. And I'm now joined by uh, Rohanullah Chima, who is part of, uh, who was part of that particular endeavor. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Wa alaikum salam. So um, tell us about, um, uh, tell us the purpose of uh, the activities that you carried out during the, uh, during the festive period. So, um, yeah, so you summarized uh, some of the purpose behind it about helping the elderly and the needy. So in general, um, so my responsibility is I'm the lead for all our community services projects within our humanitarian services department within AMYA UK. Right. And uh, the purpose behind this is to, one, on a societal level, is to bring about um, integration, integration and engagement from our youth into the um, community and also to always, also of course, serve in that sense as well. So one of the things we were really, really focusing on and we were essentially worried about as well over the Christmas period was the uh, cost of living crisis and uh, how a lot of people who are potentially elderly, living alone or going through some other issues might really, really struggle over the winter period. So one of the projects we wanted to do was the festive gift baskets. Um, and the purpose behind these was that people are able to request a gift basket for someone who's potentially vulnerable or who will be alone over the Christmas. And then on Christmas Day, um, one of our volunteers will deliver it to them. So by the grace of God, we were able to get um, over 400 requests for this, um, just just for Christmas. And uh, we, our volunteers prepared these, and we also worked on delivering those out um, on Christmas Day and still um, around after periods as well. So that went really well, and uh, we've been working on various other projects as well over the Christmas period too. So what sort of um, feedback did you receive from these people? So um, I think more than expected, to be fair. Um, it was it was a lot of people were surprised that we literally had volunteers out, out on Christmas Day delivering, and uh, I received people asking messages uh, two or three times just to confirm whether it will happen on Christmas Day or not. So people were surprised about that. And obviously it's not easy um, trying to get people out and deliver over, we managed to deliver over 250 baskets across the UK. So we can imagine, so up north from Aberdeen all the way down south to Bournemouth um, to make sure that we're making the baskets in a specific location and then also distributing them out. So we received a lot of positive feedback, not only from people receiving the baskets, who obviously for a lot of them it was a surprise, so they didn't actually know that they were going to get a basket. Um, someone just turned up at the door to give it to them. So we had a lot of positive responses from them. They were engaged. They engaged a lot. They asked us questions as well um, uh, about our community, etc., and stuff like that. And uh, we were also able to then get also good feedback from the people who had requested the baskets. Say they they were quite impressed with the quality that we were able to provide with the items that were included in the basket 
and also in terms of our kind of service in delivering them as well. So if we missed the delivery, we'd ensure that we'd con- contact the person who requested a basket and also rearrange the delivery in the area as well um, until we've ensured that the basket gets to that person. Uh, that's some amazing work, uh, Mr. Chima. Uh, what other activities have you um, or the Humanitarian Services Department carried out throughout the year? So, yeah, so within Humanitarian, so humanitarian Services comes a lot of different departments itself. So what I've just discussed is part of the Community Services Department, mm-hmm. but you also have other stuff like healthcare. Within healthcare, we really, really focus on um, blood donations, You've got um, welfare, you've got fundraising. Fundraising is obviously a big part of our um, part of our charity organisation. And uh, we do a lot of fundraising with Mary Curry, who is our national charity partner, and who also partnered up with us when it comes to the festive gift baskets and helping us promote that as well. Um, and uh, other things that I, I, also respons- I am also responsible for is... is uh, care homes and hospital visits. So another thing that we really focused over the winter period, which we did in December specifically around Christmas Day, mm-hmm. is to visit care homes, um, to visit, again, vulnerable people, elderly people in our community, and just to be either like a listening ear or provide support in any way that we can, take gifts for them, etc., things like that. And uh, food donation is also a big thing over the winter period. Um, so we were able to donate um, within 2022. We were able to donate around over 11,700 kg um, of food to various food banks and places. Amazing. What do you think in this last year, at 2022, what was one of the biggest achievements or one of the biggest achievements you think you, your department has reached? Um. I think there's various things we were able to manage in 2022. I think some of the big projects, like I mentioned, which um, Pete Gate, we have had very good feedback for, and also I think felt very um, fulfilling for us as well, was one was the festive gift baskets, I'd say. Uh, I would mm-hmm. also say the Tilford Village fundraiser, where we helped out a local church and did a fundraiser for them. Um, and also we did, we were doing a uh, tree planting project, um, at uh, where we have our annual convention every year. So a lot of people yeah. contributed to that. We're planning to plant a thousand trees. But mm-hmm. I think the one that required kind of the most uh, attention and work was actually support we provided uh, to Medica um, camp on the border of Poland and Ukraine, where we had volunteers go for three weeks from um, our department. That I myself went for a week as well, and we provided support um, on the border there. Mm, that was amazing. Uh, how's how's the experience? Um, do you think it was dangerous or? Um, so, I think, uh, let alone dangerous. I think when you go to help support help out in such a place, you kind of just um, you don't really think about the things about danger and stuff mm-hmm. because you're actually seeing people who need help. Um, it's also very very busy, I'd say, on the border with. Uh, the support obviously people need a lot of sports there's a lot of refugees or people moving between the borders in and out both yeah. ways um so i think in that way it was an experience uh, eye-opening experience but it was also experience where you, to you could learn a lot so i went there we were partnering up with humanity first mm-hmm. yeah, who's also one of our charity partners and uh, we were supporting through them but there was also a lot of other charities obviously on the ground that we were collaborating with 
and also local government and services who needed our support um, since we were the only people who were actually able to provide an ambulance, who had an ambulance on the ground to oh, really? carry people from the border to clinics, hospitals, etc. So there was just one ambulance? So we, there was there was there was the only two ambulances there were part of Humanity First as in charity organisation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does uh, really good. Uh, what what did you uh, feel? Um, did you get a response from those people, or like what kind of feedback did you get there? So feedback there was amazing. Um, in terms of, I think, from what I've personally got to witness as well, that people coming up to me directly and mm. uh, thanking us, but also thanking obviously our chairman. Um, obviously, there's a lot of news channels and stuff walking around as well, um, trying to cover everything. But I think I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically from the locals. So one of the things we probably had to really help was maybe help people carry stuff across even when they go across the border because a lot of people were um, female members of the mm-hmm. family and had a lot of language that they were trying to get across with them. So that is mm-hmm. something obviously people appreciated a lot and they'd thank you. Um, some of them even would try to give you money and stuff, but obviously wouldn't accept that. And... Uh, um, one thing we also try to do is provide hot meals throughout the day. So one of my responsibilities was I was the lead for kitchen. So in terms of making the meals, three meals a day, and also providing hot drinks during the day. So mm-hmm. I think the highlight of the camp, in a sense, was that we were able to make uh, masala chai for them, so special chai, mm-hmm. which people really, really enjoyed. Um, we would have people come two or three times a day to our camp itself to have just have hot tea. And I think that was not really a... a it wasn't just a thing of helping them try something new, but it was also really a thing that helped them kind of build that brother, build that brotherhood and community spirit. So even people from other camps would come to us um, and they would join us and sit with us, etc. So that was something really that uh, was able to showcase mm-hmm. the ability of Humanity First and AMYA UK, but also really help us to build that empathy and understanding of how to help people who are going through a real-life crisis. That's really big. Was there any other any other charities there? Or was it just your team? And and uh, sorry, did you mention how many of you went? So we we tried to do a rotation. So we had a central team from Humanity First who mm-hmm. were there all the time, and then from AMY UK we tried to send. We did send uh, around five people per week. So one um, every seven days you'd have another five new batch that would go. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was also um, members from Germany there from AMYA Germany helping out as well and uh, mm-hmm. there were other charities there so um but in terms of being actively supporting there was probably only two or three charities so mm-hmm. you'd have a lot of camps set up from different and it was from internationally so people from a, a different countries you had U- us china yeah. uh, middle east even there's a, a lot of camps in the middle east and uh, but there was only two or three who were actually providing meals in that sense. So we were one of those. There was another US organization and another UK based organization as well. So it was important in that sense um, for us to be there. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Rohan Lajima. Uh, it was uh, really nice speaking to you. Uh, it was amazing. And uh, I think what you're doing was it's just really, really amazing work. Uh, keep it up and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Jazakla. So, um, so that was um, a representative from the M, the Muslim uh, Youth Association, Rohan Lachima, who was um, 
uh, giving us uh, actually a detailed resume of uh, of their activities. Let's take a quick break now, and when we come back, we will wrap up this topic and uh, uh, give you a synopsis of what um, Islam really is about when it comes to community service. So please do stay tuned, and we wish we shall be back right after this quick break. Voice of Islam Radio. Selections from the writings of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the Holy Prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end, in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, he endures such hardship and suffering as increased from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships which are beyond a pretender and imposter to suffer through. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from the South London Studios of Voice of Islam. This morning we're talking about service to humanity, so the importance of um, serving the elderly, serving the needy, um, helping them. Uh, Imam Anan, if I can come to you. Um, there are really two parts to to Islam. One is the rights of God, and the other is is rights to humanity. 
So mm. within these two parts, how important within Islam is 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 serving uh, the community, serving the people, um, and and rights of humanity. And when we say humanity, is this, uh, is that humanity uh, the concept limited to uh, to Muslims um, within the community, or is that the the wider uh, community or the or the wider society? Uh, yeah. So in terms of importance, it's fifty fifty. Well, actually, it's 100-100, so right. both are a maximum importance. Equally important, But yeah. they're also equally important. <clears throat> and the reason uh, I also mentioned earlier is that we, the, the huma- humanity is the creation of God. Mm. And you take care of, you can't take care of God, can you? Mm. So you take care of God's creation. Mm. You uh, help them, you, uh, you're there for them in need. And in, ret- in return... Uh, you know the parent god almighty the, the creator of the of humanity he will uh, take care of you when uh, you are in trouble he will be there for you when you are in trouble mm-hmm. um actually there is a saying of the of the promised messiah of uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him uh, in a hadith and he says that allah the almighty will ask uh, the son of adam uh, on the day of judgment that i was ill and you did not attend to me the son of adam will say oh my lord how could I have attended to you, as you are the Lord of all the worlds? Then Allah the Almighty will say, Did you not know that so and so of my servants was ill and you did not attend to him? Or such and such uh, from my people was ill and you did not come attend to him? If you had attended to him, uh, you would have found me near him. O son of Adam, I once requested food from you and you did not give it to me. The son of Adam will say, O my Lord, how could I give food to you as you are the Lord of all the worlds? And Allah will say, one of my servants was hungry or one of my, uh, one of my, um, one of my creation or my people was hungry and you did not give food to him. Uh, If you gave food to him, you would have found me near him. And then he says, O son of Adam, you did not give me drink when I was thirsty. And again, the son of Adam, referring to as, you know, the man or human, uh, how could I give you a drink when you are the Lord of all the worlds? And Allah will say that one of my servants was thirsty and asked for a drink and you refused it. So the importance of this hadith is that God Almighty is like stressing on on the importance of serving his humanity because God is near them. So if you serve... If you serve uh, the creation of God, if you serve your fellow human beings, you help them, you give them food. It is as if you're giving food to God, not literally, but spiritually. So this is a very, very uh, important, very beautiful hadith. And it just shows how important it is to uh, serve others because serving others is not it's not a choice. It's not a extra or you know, a bonus thing to do. It is your responsibility. If you don't do it, it's, it's sinful. And the promised Messiah, um, a peace be upon him, also said that the most perilous and hardest challenge is to fulfill the rights of mankind because this is a test and trial that one is faced with at all times and remains constantly before a person. He further says, Therefore, one ought to, tre- one ought to tread very carefully and be mindful when taking any step in this regard. The promised Messiah also said, It is my firm conviction that even with one's enemy, one should never act with undue 
severity. So obviously mankind, you can be a friend, you can be an enemy, you can some people you like, some people you don't like. Treating them fairly, it's it's your responsibility. It's your it's just as important as going to to the mosque. It's just as important as serving your uh, parents. It's just as important as any other task you do during the day. So, yeah. So in terms of humanity, that's what Islam teaches us. And uh, you know, there's so much so much misunderstanding about Islam today that I don't mm-hmm. understand where does it come from. Like where where do you get this? Or where do you, mm. uh, where have you heard this? Where, how can you think about a, a religion which mm. has nothing but peace, has nothing mm. but you know beautiful teachings about taking care of each other? Mm. And I remember another narration of the Holy Prophet. He he was speaking about the rights of a neighbor, mm. and one of the companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him, said that he he gave the neighbor so much, so many rights, and he kept on going on, going on. And I thought that he will include him. In my inheritance, <laughs> that I might have to give yeah. after I pass away. I might have to give mm. my money or my my inheritance to him as well, but mm. make him part of that. Mm. So this is how how Im- how important it is to take care of each other. And on the other hand, we see that is- mm. Islam is being portrayed brutally and mm. very dishonest. Mm. Unfortunate. That, that yeah. is very very unfortunate. Uh, could you tell a, a little bit uh, to our listeners about uh, the charity called Humanity First? that is also uh, part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim um, Association here mm-hmm. in the in the UK. Yeah, Humanity First um, has attained a good name whereby many external organizations rec- recognize that Humanity First is achieving much more uh, from a, a far smaller budget in comparison to much bigger charities uh, due to its volunteer forces and the spirit with which its members serve. So again, Humanity First is... All all these services provided by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are mm. all volunteers. Yeah. Okay. They, they are specialized. Okay. They go. They they learn. They go out. They study. Improve their skill, and then they come to serve um, the community. It's not like you know that like if uh, so, there's some people they like, I can't make it in school, so I'll just go to this place or I'll right. start doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So this is not like a a secondary thing for them. Yeah. They so they they work hard for all their lives, specialize in things, and then come to this. Uh, um, charity mm. and go and help people for free, even though they could have, they could be earning thousands of dollars or, or, or pounds, uh, you know, being a doctor or surgeon. Sure. Uh, but they go voluntarily. They go to Africa. They they uh, mm. build wells. Mm. Uh, they make. Um, actually, there is a note here that it it is worthy of note that in 1985, 1,000 Indonesian Ahmadi ladies donated their eyes. Wow. And the opening ceremony of the Noor Eye Donor Bank took mm. place on November twentieth, two thousand in Rabwa in Pakistan. So it it's not just uh, uh, the men; it's, it's the ladies as well. They, sure, they're doing absolutely. amazing uh, sacrifices. And that uh, reminds me of uh, this hospital actually, which has been uh, it's called Masood Eye Hospital, which has been mm. built in Burkina Faso by another. Uh, auxiliary organi- organization which you mentioned earlier called Ahmadiyya Muslim Elders Association yep. um, and uh, that is a state of the art hospital in one of the poorest regions of uh, of Africa uh, where um, I, I think when this hospital was established I think uh, last year uh, it was uh, there were only two qualified ophthalmologists 
ophthalmologist, <laughs> uh, if I can pronounce that correctly, uh, within that country. And mm-hmm. now there is a full state-of-the-art hospital, uh, hus- a hospital dedicated to that country and to that entire mm-hmm. region. So, yeah, there's, there's lots uh, that the community is doing. Right. So with um, with that, um, I hope um, we've uh, provided a good um, synopsis of uh, what Islam's teaching is um, around helping uh, the community, helping the society in in general, helping your neighbor, um, and uh, providing the much needed support that um, uh, that everybody needs, especially during these these tough times. Um, and and we close this topic. Uh, we will take a quick break now, and when we come back, we will move on to something entirely different. Uh, and we'll talk about science uh, and the discovery of cellular glue in regenerative medicine. Do stay tuned. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from the South London Studios of Voice of Islam. We are moving to the second topic of the day, which is about the discovery of cellular glue in regenerative medicine. So, a long sought goal of regenerative medicine has been to find a way of direct bonding of tissue to repair and regenerate cells or tissues. Although there are adhesive molecules everywhere in our bodies, manipulating them for desired effects has been difficult. However, the researchers at University of California in San Francisco have been able to engineer molecules that act like a cellular glue for direct bonding of tissues. The team, through a demo, produced customized adhesion molecules which bound select cells in a predictable manner, giving them de facto control of the regenerative potential of the body. Senior author Wendell Lim, a PhD director of University of California, San Francisco Cell Design Institute, told the Good News Network, we were able to engineer cells in a manner that allows us to control which cells they interact with and also to control the nature of that interaction. This opens the door to building novel structures like tissues and organs. Adhesive molecules are all around the human body. They create communicative bonds and immune pathways with tens of millions of cells. Scientists are still unable to control them, however. Limitol designed the artificial adhesion molecules. They come in two parts. One sitting outside the cell sees which cells 
a cell it can attach to, another sits inside and checks the strength of the attachment. Let me now uh, go straight to our expert um, in this area, Professor Matteo Satin, who is uh, the, uh, a professor of tissue regeneration at the School of Applied Science, Scientists, uh, Applied Sciences at the University of Brighton um, in the UK. Uh, Professor Santin is also the director of the Center for Regenerative Medicine and Devices. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you for having me. Good morning to everybody. Good morning, uh, Professor. So uh, tell us firstly, how important is this, uh, uh, this discovery? Well, uh, the discovery is very important because basically will enable us uh, and the surgeons, I should say, in the future to um, uh, obtain the complete regeneration of uh, tissues, uh, rather, for example, uh, recurring to medical implants, uh, which uh, have a limited uh, lifespan and obviously do not offer a full recovery for the patient. So when we talk about regeneration, please help us understand. So, you know, what do you think is the extent of uh, the help that this discovery can provide? So would at some point, uh, you know, this particular technique will be able to regenerate um, um, an entire uh, finger, for example, if a finger is lost? Uh, that's probably a stretch too far. Right. But there are very important uh, clinical conditions that can be uh, resolved by this uh, treatment. Just to give you an example, and first of all, mm -hmm. uh, pointing out uh, what is tissue regeneration. Uh, basically, that's the uh, process of healing that uh, uh, enables the tissue to return to its original structure and function. When you have a large uh, um, trauma uh, or uh, injury, uh, the tissue can still heal by itself, but to produce scar, and uh, that obviously is not uh, the ideal uh, tissue, and the functionality of the tissue is lost. With the um, approaches like the ones used by our colleagues and uh, by us at the University of Brighton, the idea is to guide the tissue in a way that can go back uh, to the original structure and function without uh, formation of scars or any other type of alteration. Right. So uh, give us the um, give us a practical uh, example of how this can help uh, somebody now. Absolutely. Two main examples that I think the, everybody can be familiar with. One is uh, skin burns hmm. or large skin uh, injuries. Uh, uh, the other one is uh, uh, heart uh, infarct, where the muscle of the heart is damaged and the, uh, the healing proceeds forming a scar that does not enable heart to beat and function properly. By injecting these uh, types of materials close to the site of injury, the healing can be more uh, uh, normal, physiological, and uh, as I said before, lead the, the back the tissue back to its original functions. So, I understand this is uh, something which is um, which is very new. It's um, uh, it's been done by this university, um, uh, by this institute rather in uh, San Francisco. Uh, how um, soon do you think this? Uh, 
do you expect this to be implemented um, across the world? Uh, the the first first thing that the public needs to uh, understand that this is a very complex piece of research. We carry on a research very similar to that of our colleagues uh, in the states, uh, and uh, we face uh, uh, some uh, not obstacles but some steps, necessary steps that we need to follow. We need to make sure that uh, this approach is uh, safe and efficacious for the patient. And then we need to to do that. We need to validate it through many tests, including very expensive and time-consuming clinical studies. So that, uh, on average, takes 10-15 years from concept to uh, implementation in, into the clinical space. Right. So, so this is very much at the lab stage for the next decade. You think? Yes, and but it's also important to <clears throat> excuse me to distinguish between the use of these technologies uh, in different types of clinical applications. For example, if you think about the regeneration of the joint tissue, that can be much closer uh, in time to its application, its um, implementation into clinics. For others, like as I said. Um, heart infarctions and uh, uh, spine injury. Obviously, we are talking about uh, uh, decades. So you, you, you said that you obviously do similar research uh, here in the UK as well. Um, how uh, do you, uh, did you say it'll take you ten years to um, to validate the results of uh, of what uh, this institute has produced? Yes, these are uh, synthetic materials. So first of all, you need to produce the right chemistry, and then you have to scale it up uh, to make it uh, feasible for industrial production. Then you start testing it with the cells. And for example, uh, uh, in the last couple of years, we have published papers where we demonstrate, just to give you one example, our ability to f- form pancreatic uh, uh, tissue for diabetic uh, uh, people. And, uh, and then obviously you have to go through preclinical and clinical tests that are very expensive. Uh, you require a lot of uh, investment, public and private, to reach that uh, stage. Uh, all this needs to be done to uh, convince the regulatory bodies, uh, bodies who, that uh, organization that uh, regulates these kinds of products, that the products, the technology is safe and efficacious for the patient. Interesting. Uh, is there any disadvantages to the use or any harmful effects? Hopefully no harmful effect will be a contradiction in terms. Uh, the disadvantages may be in the first instance relatively uh, expensive, uh, being relatively expensive for uh, the NHS. But mm-hmm. and if you think that uh, most of uh, these uh, materials have been designed to have an early treatment uh, of the patients. That means that uh, the patients will uh, get better uh, soon and therefore uh, the conditions will not deteriorate, uh, leading to more expensive uh, treatments and long-term expensive uh, treatments for the NHS. So there is an initial cost mm. that may look uh, higher, but in the long term there are clearly benefits. And finally, Professor, uh, uh, in in the context of uh, discoveries, how big do you think is this? This is very big because if you think that uh, 
the biomaterials, uh, which are the materials that are used to be implanted in the body, they don't don't have uh, uh, features that uh, uh, are promoting tissue regeneration until this discovery has been made. Or there are some that are quite good in uh, encouraging tissue regeneration, but they are from animal tissues. And obviously there are some concerns or social, uh, social, religious, and other types of concerns <clears throat> for the use of these materials. These materials are synthetic, meaning uh, in the long term they can become cheaper, as I said before, but also they can uh, be very reproducible from batch to batch during the manufacturing, therefore guaranteeing uh, the patient uh, safety much, much more. Professor, such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so very much for coming on. Thank you for having me and have a good day. And you. Have a lovely day ahead and uh, a lovely week uh, as well. So that was uh, Professor Matteo Santin, who is Director of Centre for Regenerative Medicine and Devices here in Brighton, sharing us uh, with us um, how big and good uh, this uh, this news is. Uh, Imam Anan, uh, uh, let's uh, take a quick break. But when we come back from the break, um, um, the question that that, I'll, that I think we need to address uh, for our audience is how important is research within the context of an Islamic society? Um, how important is, uh, is the acquisition of knowledge um, within Islam? Um, it, it, because again, um, as we were talking about earlier, there, uh, there are all sorts of views within the society in general about what Islam is and um, uh, what it uh, promotes. So let's talk about that right after this break. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. The conditions of initiation, bed, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. The initiate shall solemnly promise one that he or she shall abstain from shirk, association of any partner with God, right up to the day of his or her death. Two, that he or she shall keep away from falsehood, fornication, adultery, trespasses of the eye, debauchery, dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief and rebellion, and will not permit himself or herself to be carried away by passions, however strong 
they might be. Three, that he or she shall regularly offer the five daily prayers in accordance with the commandments of God and the Holy Prophet and shall try his or her best to be regular in offering the tahajjud and invoking the rood on the Holy Prophet that he or she shall make it his or her daily routine to ask forgiveness for their sins, to remember the bounties of God and to praise and glorify Him. 4. That under the impulse of any passions, he or she shall cause no harm whatsoever to the creatures of Allah in general and Muslims in particular, neither by his or her tongue, nor by his or her hands, nor by any other means. 5. That he or she shall remain faithful to God in all circumstances of life, in sorrow and happiness, adversity and prosperity, in felicity and trial, and shall in all conditions remain resigned to the decree of Allah and keep himself or herself ready to face all kinds of indignities and sufferings in his way, and shall never turn away from it at the onslaught of any misfortune. On the contrary, he or she shall march forward. 6. That he or she shall refrain from following un-Islamic customs and lustful inclinations and shall completely submit himself or herself to the authority of the Holy Quran and shall make the word of God and the sayings of the Holy Prophet the guiding principle in every walk of his or her life. 7. That he or she shall entirely give up pride and vanity and shall pass all his or her life in humbleness, cheerfulness, forbearance, and meekness. 8. That he or she shall hold faith, the honor of faith, and the cause of Islam dearer to him or her than his or her life, wealth, honor, children, and all other dear ones. 9. That he or she shall keep himself or herself occupied in the service of God's creatures for his sake only and shall endeavor to benefit mankind to the best of his or her God-given abilities and powers. 10. That he or she shall enter into a bond of brotherhood with this humble servant of God, pledging obedience to me in everything good for the sake of Allah and remain faithful to it till the day of his or her death, that he or she shall exert such a high devotion in the observance of this bond as is not to be found in any other worldly relationship and connections demanding devoted dutifulness. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. We are talking about 
um, science and the um, the discoveries in science. And in this last part of the show, we'll talk about the um, the importance of science and the importance of discoveries within Islam uh, and within an Islamic society, and the importance of education within Islam, the importance of education uh, of uh, women within Islam. So, uh, Imam Anand, uh, my question to you, as I mentioned before going on to the break, is um, how, how, how much importance is education given within an Islamic society? And I, and I, and I ask because there are all, all sorts of views about this um, uh, in, in, the, in the society in general. So it's compulsory, to put it like very right. brief. It's uh, it's a must. There's no again. There's no choice here, mm. um, because uh, if you have the choice, you can say I don't want to learn. I just want to live my life. But no, it's a must. It's a duty of a Muslim man and woman uh, to seek knowledge. Spe- uh, like here in our uh, Voice of Islam, the radio show, we mentioned this so many times. Uh, there's so many narrations of. Uh, the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Salam. That if you have to seek knowledge mm. uh, and you have to go as far as China, mm. then it is your duty to do that. Mm. It is a must. He also pro- he also said uh, knowledge is the lost property of any Muslim. Yeah, and you you need to take it wherever you find it. Mm. So you know, if you lose your phone, you drop your phone. Uh, we wouldn't think twice about going back to get it. Mm. You know, it would be in, instinctively you would go back to get your phone. It's mm. your property. Mm. So this is how knowledge is uh, for a Muslim. If you see knowledge, you remember something, or uh, I can get some knowledge from here, or I can, you know, find some research about our atmosphere here. Then it's your duty that you go and you find it, and you don't give up. You don't say I didn't find the book, so. Bad luck. <laughs> you mm. keep trying. Um, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, the world head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, in one of his sermons, he was speaking about this verse of the Holy Quran, uh, which is as follows In the creation of the heavens and the earth, and in the alternation of the night and the day, there are indeed signs for men of understanding. What are these signs? So let's, for example, God mentions that they, in, the, in the creation of the heavens and the earth. Why is, for example, why is heavens a plural and earth is singular? So one understanding or one uh, research or piece of knowledge we have about this is that the atmosphere of the earth has various layers before it gets to the hmm. to the outer space. Hmm. So, the, for example, there's six or seven layers, and in in the Holy Quran, it's repeatedly mentioned about six or seven heavens. Hmm. You know, hmm. so th- these little signs. That's just uh, so. God Almighty states this as as a taste. Let, like, let me let me let me give you this. Start off with this. Like, hmm. think about this. And the the verse further uh, states that those who remember Allah while standing, sitting and lying on their sides and ponder over the creation of the heavens and of the earth. So here these two things have been put together. 
that whether you're awake you're on your bed or you're doing anything you have to remember God but on the side they ponder over the creation of the heavens and the earth they constantly it's not that again that religious aspect it's not that you're religious uh, or, or that you only think about your prayers and your um, moral act it's, it's about your knowledge as well it's, everything has to be in balance so they 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 worship Allah the Almighty constantly with it they're always pondering over his creation they're always thinking they're always trying to move forward and progress and then what the result of this if you try this the result will be that these, these words will co- come out your mouth that oh our Lord thou has not created this in vain so you think about these things that is there anything in the in, in the world is, is there anything on this earth that God has created purposeless mm-hmm. she has created without any reason or, or anything in this world which doesn't have a reason if if something if I have a spoon and I, the the handle of the spoon breaks mm-hmm. th- that spoon is purposeless yeah. so you discard of it mm-hmm. so similarly man our, the humans have a purpose this is more than working uh, you know sleeping eating there's more to life than that you keep doing this you keep repeating this every day every day you keep growing uh, maybe you can live up to 90 or 100 years and after that you die so what was the purpose if there's nothing after this life you wasted 100 years are there any practical examples um, of uh, any Muslim scientists Uh, who would have taken uh, this lead uh, of the um, importance of science and importance of knowledge within Islam and um, and did something for the society yeah uh, so as much as I'm speaking about knowledge uh, I'm like I I should refer uh, I should uh, address this to myself first because I'm obviously I try to gain knowledge but not to the extent that we should be So obviously I include myself in this and a prime example of this is for example Dr Abdul Salam mm. uh, uh who is a Nobel prize winner he in his I don't remember if it's in his Nobel prize speech or he just generally mentioned it but he said that anything I have found in science there there's nothing new which I have not found in the Quran yeah So he got his inspiration from the Quran of the discovery yes. for the discovery that he actually made. Exactly. Yeah. So the you know the the, uh, the Holy Quran is a book of signs mm. with a G, not a book mm. of uh, science. That's yeah. a very famous here uh, like saying you might have heard. It's yeah. a book of signs. It'll give you it'll give you the signs, it'll give you you know a little taste motivation absolutely it gives you motivation yeah. it, it won't put the yeah. yeah it won't put the formula in front of you the e yeah. equals mc squared it'll give you the science it'll give you yes. taste absolutely. it'll give you things to think about it'll tell you what to do and then if you follow that path you can you can uh, find out new things like we about this regenerative uh, function this was just recently discovered And and just to give two more examples uh, from the earlier period of Islam, um, algebra was mm. discovered by um, uh, by a Muslim. Algebra, as we all know, is a uh, is resp- is is a key component of um, uh, of mathematical science, uh, which is really the backbone of of uh, of any discovery, I should say. Uh, the other example that immediately comes to mind is camera. 
Yeah. So uh, cameras, camera was also um, an invention uh, of a Muslim scientist um, hundreds of years ago. And I can I can go on. There are many uh, Muslim even the, scientists. The golden rule or the golden circle. Um, uh, the golden circle. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a rule that you make a circle, mm-hmm. and it makes a perfect shape, and that circle is never ending. So I don't know much about it myself, but it I, th- I believe it was a Muslim scientist who discovered this. Right. And, and and many other things. I mean, yeah, I was reading only the other day about uh, the Muslim scientist who, for the first uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, discovered the circumference of um, uh, the Earth, hmm. um, and um, and the list goes on. Um, um, actually, it was Muslims who uh, brought together the knowledge of the Greeks um, and the Indians um, uh, together, um, translated all of those knowledge knowledge. So, the, so that yeah. the Europeans could actually use that from the libraries created by Muslims in Spain um, and in the Middle East. Uh, and then they were able to translate, the Europeans were able to translate that knowledge uh, from the Muslim scientists into Latin. And then, you know, uh, uh, the, the wave of scientific knowledge and discovery continued that way. So Muslims were a very, very key component of the bridge that mm-hmm. uh, that was established um, and, and made quite a few important discoveries uh, as well in that process. And that's absolutely true. Like that, So much knowledge was uh, kind of stolen. I remember I, I read this somewhere that there, there was a king or like a leader. He said that he, he appointed a few scholars just to learn Arabic. And the purpose was you're going to go find Arabic books. You're going to translate them mm-hmm. into our language. Because it, there's just so much wisdom, so much knowledge in it. This is this is the power, you know, science and yeah. technology. This is power. So this is this was their purpose. Absolutely. Lastly, I would like to mention one more thing that mm-hmm. God Almighty mentioned that humans are the best of creation. Right. Okay. Nothing is created better than a human being. No mountain, no technology, nothing. And the only reason for that is that we have the ability to differentiate between right and wrong. You can build a machine. You can uh, make uh, robots. They will follow what you say. They will follow what they are designed to do, but they will not be able to tell the different uh, difference between what this is right, this is wrong. For example, there is a horse which is suffering. Okay, a robot. If you if you put this code in him that you can't mm. kill animals, mm. he will not kill that horse. Mm. But a human going past, mm. if he sees that horse suffering and in pain, he knows that it's time. It's yeah. time is over. Yeah. He might kill it out of mercy. Yeah. So these are things which other creations. Other people, other other uh, animals don't have, which the humans have, sure. the ability to d- differentiate between right and wrong. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much uh, for that uh, uh, detailed overview, Imam Anand. And that brings us uh, towards the end of the show today. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, we talked about uh, two things uh, today. So we talked about um, uh, the importance of... Um, uh, of, of helping people, of helping the poor, of helping the needy, helping the the society in general, uh, not just uh, your your immediate community or not just your family, uh, and how important that is within Islam. And then we went on to talk about science and uh, this latest discovery uh, within molecular science, as well as um, the importance of um, scientific discovery and knowledge, the acquisition of knowledge within Islam. 
myself and Imam uh, Manan will be back uh, next Monday. So do join us uh, next Monday for another edition of The Breakfast Show live from uh, from Voice of Islam. Until then, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. News is next. <laughs>